Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Kathy O'Dare was a child star who appeared on a number of TV shows, including Happy Days, The Brady Bunch, and as one of the Sour Grape Girls in the Banana Splits adventure in the early 70s. But her career didn't last long. Now we know why. Her brother, David F. Durazzi, has written a loving tribute to Kathy and in the process raises awareness of mental illness in his book, Is Everybody Happy? The Untold Story of Kathy O'Dare, a Hollywood starlet and her struggles with mental illness. You come from a very talented family, David. You know, I decided to write when I hit my 60s. And I figured, you know, I've been very successful at what I've done. I've been the top gun salesman for three major corporations throughout the United States for, you know, over 35 years. And, you know, financially, I've been doing okay and very well, actually. And my mom died about 13 years ago. So I was in her garage and I got all these scrapbooks and all my dad's journals. And I said, wow what is this and it's weird when i was when i was growing up i used to sit up in my dad's studio and used to watch him paint and he used to write and i saw him write his story you know of his family's life and you know he was born italian immigrant family that came to america and he i mean he had a the in-between artist my dad was first cartoonist animator for walt disney for snow white he had his own tv show on ktla for five years he was on KHDA radio and won an Emmy for his Uncle Tony O'Dare, first cartoonist of the year. And he, I mean, he wrote about every little thing. He had all these articles and that's why I put the first one together. Uh, the in-between artist. Okay. That was your first book for page, right? Yeah. My dad was the first in-between artist for Snow White for Walt Disney and he created Dopey. And it, I mean, he has, you know, he's done amazing things, but he had five nervous breakdowns, 37 shock treatments. And then he got on TV after he suffered all this stuff and was all in the family, Sanford and son. And he was an actor, you know, he never stopped. He was top salesman when he get after he came out of the hospital. He had, uh, no, he had 37 shock treatments and five nervous breakdowns. Oh my God. And that had to be so difficult. Oh my God, it was. And so when I was seven years old, I saw my dad taken away in a straitjacket and he was in a state hospital for six months. He lost his memory as in an accident. And then he came home after that, totally depressed. And, you know, and I wrote about it because I remember it all and I experienced it. And my mom, she threw it on me, man. When I was 14, she just couldn't handle it. It was crazy. But she, she had the good life with him when he was in vaudeville, TV and all that. But then all this stuff happened after. Uh, but it was ugly. It, it was a real bad deal. They were fighting, and she said, "David, you got to help." And I go, "What do you want me to do? Get him to go to the hospital?" And 14 years old, I had to take my dad to the mental institution and talk him into committing himself. And oh. yeah, you know, I didn't know. Yeah, it was crazy. And so, yeah, I had to deal with it growing up in high school. Nobody knew about it, and 
you know, I got through it. Most inspirational player, great football player on the team, great baseball, swimmer. I was a superstar, but nobody knew what's going on in my life backstage. But I, I really helped my mom through all this. And then when my sister ended up her later life after being a star, I realized my calling was to help her. And I wrote about that. And, she, you know, she wrote her story and my dad wrote his and I wrote all my experiences. So that's how all this happened. It's interesting that both your dad and your sister, they were drawn to performing. Right? Yes, yes. And correct. I guess on some level that helped them deal with their inner demon. No, I think it did. So I guess you felt compelled to write about your sister then. It was only natural to follow up your dad's story with your sister's story. That is so true. That's what I did. I mean, it's interesting. I had this uh, doctor that encouraged me to write the first one, my dad's story, and then I just decided, hey, I did it for my dad. Why don't I do it for my sister? And my first one took me six years to write. This one took me three years. For people who don't know who Kathy O'Dare is, can you just kind of give us a little background? Yeah, Kathy O'Dare was, uh, you know, we had four kids in our family. She was the youngest daughter. I mean, only daughter and girl in the family. It just, And she took acting, started at three years old. Uh, with the Anta Academy in Hollywood. She actually, who was in her class, she got to know well, was uh, Mark Hamill, the Star Wars guy. She actually <laughs> was very close friends with him growing up, did some funny things. And then, and then she ended up getting her first break on uh, the Banana Splits Adventure Hour when she was 11 years old. And uh, Richard Donner was a director and producer of that show. And he took a liking to her and kind of stood behind her and you know, she did, she was one of the sour great girls. And so that was her first big break. And then 16, you know, she had been doing a few things here and there and kept going to acting class. She taught and she was very successful and she got this big part in Happy Days. And she was on the cover of TV Guide with Ronnie Howard. And uh, she was on the pilot and, you know, uh, Gary Marshall said, hey, Kathy, man, if you, if you could stay healthy, he says, you're going to be a superstar. And, you know, she hung in there. She was on the Brady Bunch. She was in the movie Eat My Dust with Ronnie Howard. And uh, she had her first nervous breakdown when she was 18 and a half. And oh. then, then she actually got through life up until the age of maybe 40 years old, 41. She had a baby. She kept saying she was going to have a kid. And she ended up having a kid. Her, her daughter's living and uh, doing well. And, but that's in it, you know, so overall she had a great entertainment life, and, but then she, you know, had the demons come just like you stated. Did she have to get out of entertainment after that first nervous breakdown when she was 18 or was she still able to perform? She was able to perform, you know, for the next couple of years, but then it just kind of didn't work. You know, she was got on meds and you know it got her through the you know those next 20 years pretty much uh, but then it really when she hit you know got in her 40s and that's when and it's an occurred again that she just she was in and out of assisted living homes and they call them halfway homes and i kind of walked her through that I, I stayed in touch with her as much as i could i talked to her you know once twice a week i'd go see her every couple of weeks we'd hang out i'd listen and you know, we, I kind of got her through those years and she had a, an okay life, but it was funny things that happened. A lot of them are in the book and a lot of my experiences and 
growing up with her, how great it was. At the same time, all the things that happened in her lifetime. But I think it's it's a great read. I mean, it's real life. And I mean, a few years back, even for my dad's book, no, nobody even talked about mental illness. But now it's such a big topic. And I figure, why not? You know, like some people say, you know, I felt, looked at it like some people would say, why would you write about that, about your sister? Because it's life. And, it, you know, there's a lot of great things that happen, too. I think people see themselves, right? Correct. And, and, and it makes them not feel like they're all alone. You know, that, that whole theory that, you know, they read about themselves and they feel like, okay, she was able to make it through or the, here's what she did or, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, yes, mental illness is at the forefront of the homelessness in every city in America and, oh, it's mental illness. And yeah, we're talking about it. I just don't know what we're doing about it. <laughs> and I'm sure when she was going through this, and especially your dad, mm-hmm. I mean, it had to be the, you know, that was probably the biggest family secret you had. And that's just tragic. That's just such a shame yeah. for you guys, you it, know? Yeah, I probably should have had therapy, you know, but I did it on my own, but I learned from it. And you know, I credit that to being a top gun salesman for many years because of what I dealt with. I, I mean, I could get along with anybody and I kind of put it all together. And, you know, it, it's like, hey, it, it's you learn it. You know, most people run from it. Like a lot of these families, they go, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, I jump right in and I, I really feel rewarded that I did it because what you learn is there's no price you could put on it. You know, but it's it was hard. It was difficult. I mean, I have four sons and, you know, getting through marriage and having to take care of your family that, you know, your blood family on top of everything else, it can take its toll. You know, it did one time for me. I'm on my second marriage, but everything's working. But I still have a great relationship with all my boys. And hey, what could I say? It's life. Life is where you want it to be. And, you, you know, I'm a positive guy. And, it, it, you know, one of the things I do I, through the years, I've read all these motivational books you could think of, Zig Ziglar, Dennis Waitley, Og Medino, all of them. And it's where I, when I started reading them, I said, man, I, I do this all, I, I've done all this stuff already. And that's what I, the way I live and practice my life. Is there a particular story or incident with your sister that stands out that you talk about in your book? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the one kind of funny story one time, like there were breakthroughs of my sister and conversation. Like I said, I was with her every couple of weeks. And I spent a couple hours with her. I used to pass through when I did all the water treatment at uh, Camp Pendleton. And one time I was sitting with her and she always had this idea that she was married to Don Henley, David Lee Roth. And I go, you know, and then one time I was sitting, I said, Kathy, you know, I says, that can't be true. I says, you know, she says, yeah, I think you're right, David. She says, I've never had a real marriage with any of these guys. So I guess I'm really not married. But I mean, (laughs) once in a while, things would happen like that. And I'd go, yeah, you know, and then I'd do things with her. You know, one of the things she loved, she loved David Lee Roth and Van Halen. And I took her to a concert out there at at, uh, one of the casinos, took her out of her halfway place where she was and and I mean, she just—I mean, she went back dancing. She loved to dance. We were listening to her right by the stage. That was one of the moments that I was able to kind of let her relive her teenage, her great years. She was always into music, dance, and 
I guess those are two times. But like I said, you have these breakthroughs, and I think that was the most rewarding thing. Right. One funny story was kind of interesting. You know, she'd always make, she was delusional. So she'd make up this story one time that, well, I, I thought she made it up. She says, hey, I got beat up. I got a black eye. I said, oh, you're making this up. Well, anyway, I went to see her the next week, and she really did. I guess somebody did beat her up, and she, I guess, and she said, yeah, David, when I was laying down on the ground, all these people from the home that I was at said she was on happy days. She was a star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, David. <laughs> I thought that. Uh, <laughs> it's like, wow. And, I have, you know, I have these people who are, you know, they're on mental illness or addicted, coming back, trying to get better. Meet all kinds of people. Yeah. Did you ever worry when you had your own children or do you worry about your grandchildren? Because, you know, mental illness oftentimes is, you know, passed through a family. You know, it's it's pervasive yeah. throughout generations. Yes, it's funny you answer that. Well, I can tell you a, a fact. I mean, I went to a therapist one time when I was going through the divorce thing. And, she, and I said, you know, I, I got my sales life. It's fantastic. And he says, you know, but my home life, and she says, well, you know, you're probably walking the edge. It's like good, great salesman or borderline manic, you know. I said, wow. I says, well, I keep going, you know. And then, yes, I do worry about my sons. I got four sons. I got a couple of grandkids. And it's, I look closely at just different activities that are going on. And we'll see. I mean, knock on wood, so far, they all got great jobs. But there's been some ups and downs. And sometimes I... I wonder. Yeah. And I hope uh, and I try to support them as much as I can. And, you know, not financially, but, you know, when I see something happening, man, I jump in. I mean, I had one son that had something traumatic happen to him a couple of years ago and he thought it was all over and he went through all kinds of things. But I, you know, he's back. He's OK now. So hopefully it won't take off like it did with my sister and dad it got worse but they always say sometimes as they get older it gets worse so that's what you gotta is there any amount of medication that could have helped your sister live a normal life do we have better treatments now yeah yes we do i mean it's interesting you ask that when my dad they just i was reading on it the other day it's interesting uh they say lithium is still the number one thing for mental illness and when my dad you know, manic depressive, and my dad passed before he passed just shortly. He, he kind of came down a little bit the last year, and they gave him lithium. So that seemed to work. But my sister, when she was in, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know, the halfway home, they, they experimented on all kinds of drugs with her. Yeah. And I mean, one time, and one of the bad things, is some of the drugs you put on a lot of weight because it affects all your hormones and everything else. Right. So to answer your question, They've made some progress, and it's interesting. I have a, I have a cousin that's a big psychologist, uh, you know, psychiatrist down in Texas, and we've talked about it. And you know, she even says it. You know, th there are some things, but people got to take them, and a lot of people don't want to take them because they don't feel, they don't feel right. They get all down and depressed. Right. And, right. Yeah. You know, and some of them even get suicidal, and it's like. It's still experimental. They haven't really discovered anything yet. I mean, I try to keep up with it. You know, all the stuff my sister had, and I read about it. And, yeah, I, I guess you got to hope and pray someday they will. But And like you said, all these people on the street for, 
for years ago, they didn't do anything about them. I remember when when they closed all the mental institutions, I mm -hmm. said, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. And it's like, now they're out on the street and the mayors are going to solve it, right? right? Yeah, nobody saw. Yeah, no, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And you know, if these people had their wits about them, they wouldn't want to be where they are. Like, you know, I don't think they choose to be there. It's nobody knows what to do, which brings me to my next question. And that is, you know, how are you telling people about this book? You're a sales guy. What are you doing? Yeah, well, I'm trying to, you know, I'm going on social media. I have my website, you know, David F. Um, and then how do I present it? I, you know, I present it. I'm trying to get with the mental organizations. I mean, Good. all these people want me to give talks on it. And that's where I want to go with it. I want to, I want to help people. I want to, any money that I make or whatever outside of my normal day to day, man, I'd like to donate, do something for mental illness. And I guess that's what I'd like to see. That would be my goal because it's, it's out there and nobody's talked about, it. like you said, I hit it for so many years. And it's like, hey, man, it's part of our family, our friends, our life, yeah. you know, and you can't run from it, but we got to help them. I, I don't know how they're going to build all those houses for them, but you I, know, I don't. that's what they're saying. <laughs> all you can do is start from where you are. And, you know, it sounds like you're doing just that. Really, David. Yeah. You know, you've done a really good thing. Well, thank you, Alice. It's been great. You have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. A public servant for 30 years working for the great state of Wisconsin, Rita Williams Atkinson enjoys writing full time now and was captivated by a real life event at a Milwaukee hotel that inspired her to write a piece of historical fiction entitled Of the Embers. There was actually a girl that I worked with that was telling me about this hotel fire and people falling on the telegraph lines and ladders getting stuck and the register for the hotel being lost in the fire so they didn't even know who was there at the time and I researched it a little further and it's like you know nobody has written anything about this event and it's just crazy enough it might make a good book sounds like it was just forgotten it was it, there you know there were a lot of newspaper accounts of what had happened at the time but then it just kind of fell into the darkness of the past. I was surprised that nothing had been written on it before that I could find anyway. Why do you think that was? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, the newspapers carried the story originally in, in quite a depth. And then every year or so, the Milwaukee newspaper would revisit it, you know, on the one-year anniversary, on the five-year anniversary, and so forth. So it was top of mind for a few years, and then it just kind of evaporated. Was it a spectacular blaze? It was. You could see it for miles. And just the the loss of life. I mean, there were giant funerals and big award events for the firefighters. And it was quite a news story at the time. Isn't that interesting? And then it just kind of all fades away. Yes, it seemed to. Yeah. So you kind of got to play detective. I did. I did some research on the hotel, and then that led me to research when I was developing my characters and so forth on what people wore, what people ate, what other hotels were in the area. Uh, people had to get to this hotel somehow. How was that happening? So I, I just started digging into it and pulling through the threads of who was there and why they were there. There, was a, there were bits and pieces of historical accounts available that really made the mystery deepen. So you said the guests, among the guests, were General Tom Thumb of Sideshow fame. 
Yes. Before I researched the book, he was kind of a two-dimensional character because I didn't know much about him. But I discovered that he started in show business at the age of four with uh, P.T. Barnum. And the different twists and turns that his life took and his marriage, uh, there was a lost child along the way, uh, a gambling addiction. You know, he he's a very rich character that isn't this innocent cartoonish figure that I had expected. What was he known for? He was known for being two feet tall um, for as a sideshow initially as an adult. And then he was known for stage acting. Huh. So who else? Focused on five or six individuals that were in the hotel at the time. And they were all people that I could establish were there. And I could also establish whether they survived the fire or not. And what I couldn't find about them, I made up. So how's the story go? Well, it opens up with one of the chambermaids who had started work there as a teenager escaping from the fire and how she did it. So she's introduced in chapter one, as is the fireman that rescued her. And uh, Tom Thumb is also introduced a little bit in chapter one. So you, you start right in the midst of the fire. And then it goes on in the next chapters investigating the childhood of main characters, how they got to the fire, what brought them there that day. And it kind of winds up with where the survivors ended up and how this life-changing event changed them in the future. Uh, Some of the characters are from rural Wisconsin farms. The chambermaid that I mentioned is from a rural Wisconsin farm, as is her roommate. Uh, The servants lived on site in this hotel on the fifth floor. So they came from there. There was uh, an actor and his wife who were both stage performers in a traveling troupe. Some of them were from Wisconsin. One of them was from uh, the Chicago area. So semi-local. Tom Thumb was originally from the New York or Connecticut area. There were railroad workers who were fairly local to Milwaukee, like the, the train line brought them into the Milwaukee area. Um, and a lot of the servants were German-speaking or directly from Germany before they came to the hotel. What was this hotel? You, you, you describe it as it was a premier hotel? It was. It was one of, considered one of the top five hotels in the country at the time. And it was six stories tall, covered an entire city block. Uh, it had the dark woodwork and the brocade wallpaper, gas lighting, because electricity wasn't really available at the time, red carpets on the floor, very rich rooms. A lot of the rooms had individual fireplaces for the guests. And then the servants' quarters were mostly on the fifth floor for the women and mostly on the sixth floor for the men. And those were still luxurious in the eyes of these farm girls that had come to work there. They had heating in the rooms. They had, uh, they were small, but, you know, clean, tidy little rooms. Were there relationships formed? There are a couple, yes. We follow the relationships of one of the firemen. We follow the relationship of the traveling troop actors that I mentioned. We follow the relationship of some of the servant girls. So there, there's three or four romantic relationships that we follow throughout the book. I think the one relationship I can mention 
because it might play a role in the fire is I'd mentioned this, these newlyweds that were working with the traveling acting troupe. And there was a relationship where the bride had a previous relationship that ended at the altar. So there's the possibility that there was a motive there for the jilted lover to potentially start the fire. Potentially. Potentially. Well, as soon as you said gas lamps, I went, well, how hard could it be to start a fire? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't take much of a spark. That's true. Seriously, in the 1800s, weren't there fires all over the place? Yes. There were a lot of huge, major fires, right? (laughs) Well, exactly. Exactly. How many many rooms were in the hotel? There were 300 rooms, or room for 300 guests, and it was estimated that it was fairly full that night between the guests and the employees. Once again, the guest book was lost in the fire, but they estimate about 100 people perished. How did you find the people that you did find? Uh, Through a number of sources. There are the Wisconsin Historical Society was a wonderful resource. I was able to find newspaper articles from the time. There was a small pamphlet published probably a year after the fire. They had the lists of the those that they knew perished and those that they knew survived. So that was a big resource. Okay. And uh, honestly, Find a Grave was wonderful for me to research some of these names to see what their year of death was. Find a Grave? Yes, it's a website that has a lot of information. People can even go in and write little snippets of life stories on this website about the people that are buried. Who's the most interesting character in the book? Uh, It's kind of a toss-up. I I mean, I'm emotionally attached to the chambermaids that come from a farming community because they're kind of based on my childhood. They came from a small town, had never really been away from home, and here they are plunked into the big city in their first job. And everything's new and everything's foreign and just the the coming of age was interesting to me. But I also kind of like the fireman that risked his life to save these people, you know, between those two. Is there any of you in the chambermaids? There is. My childhood memories, my the farmhouse where I grew up is uh, in the book. So there's a little bit of me there. There's a, a little bit of the wonder that you feel as a child that gradually gets chipped away. Um, there's honestly a little bit of me in each of my characters. Like the, the fireman's a real crab and uh, doesn't get along well with others. Well, I have those days too. So I, I drew on that energy for him. Um, Tom Thumb being a fish out of water at first. You know, I felt that way in my life, too. So I drew on different aspects of my personality and different experiences for each of my characters. Do you end the story here or does this do some of these characters? Do we continue to follow them? That's a question I've been kind of tossing around the last couple of days. I did leave it open for a sequel. Okay, so it's not a cliffhanger, though, right? When it ends? I think you're going to have to read it to find out. (laughs) you're killing me here no that's good all right so you have never written anything like this before right this is my first novel it's your first novel but when you say you've been writing where you just been writing short stories pretty much yes I started with short stories in sixth grade to be honest it was (laughs) yes 
uh, our English teacher at the time, it was a class assignment where we all wrote a children's story and bounded ourselves. And so that got the bug going for me. And I've written short stories and little snippets of stories off and on throughout my life. I had started a couple other novels and scrapped them. Um, but this is the first one I've taken through to the end, probably because this is the first time I actually had time. Because you're, now you're retired. Exactly. The kids are out of the house. I, I don't have to go to work every day. So this became my job. It sounds like you love it. I do. It's a lot of fun. That's great. So what's next? So I have a couple of readings, one of them in my hometown and one of them in the town where I live now scheduled over the next couple of months. How do you set that up? The one that's in my hometown, I arranged with the public library in town. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one that's here in the town that I'm living in now, I contacted a local venue that allows you to rent out a room. And I've invited just some close friends to each of those. I do a brief introduction about the basis of what the book is about. And then read a short passage and then take questions. What kind of questions do you get? Well, I haven't had my first reading yet, so oh, I haven't honestly... even had one yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, no. so so it might be like 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 this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. People going, but wait, what else happens? But then what else happens? <laughs> I would love for Netflix to pick it up and do a, a three part mini series, but I think that's a pipe dream. Listen, you never know. Just one last thing: How'd you feel when you got that book in the mail? It finally felt real, and you know, a little bit of the electricity about I did this. It was exciting. Good for you, Rita. Congratulations. Well, thank you. You have a great day, all right? And good luck with those book signings. You're going to be great. <laughs> well, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Shadiah Elizabeth has a very active imagination, and when she was little, she used to make up stories with her sisters. Then she started writing them down, and her uncle said, hey, maybe you should uh, take this a little more seriously. And now we have My Family Secret. So what finally made you do it? I was watching a show on the Sci-Fi channel, and I wanted to change their idea. I always get inspired by watching or reading something that somebody else has already out there. What, what was it? It was probably Roswell. Roswell High School. It's a show that came out in 1998. You're talking about Roswell, the sci-fi series from the 90s and the diner in the series called uh, Crashdown Cafe. All right, refresh our memories. Well, it's about uh, this girl who um, works at a diner, at a Crashdown Diner, and then she meets uh, this boy well, she's known him since she was a kid, but they never talk. And then they found out that he was an alien. Sam and his sister and his friend. I wanted to incorporate some of the ideas, romance, aliens, all that other stuff. So how's your story go? Um, well, my story, uh, you have a girl who, uh, at a young age, she can read minds. She's, telep she's telepathic. Her mom is telepathic. Her sister is telepathic. She has a stepfather who has no idea that either of them are telepathic. And then she meets a boy who has the same abilities as her. And they are in high school, seniors. She's the popular girl. He just got there. Nobody likes him, especially her ex-boyfriend. So she makes nice with this new guy. Yeah, she and him, they become friends, but they're told to stay away from each other because of her ex-boyfriend and him have a Ha they have a history. They do not get along. They don't like each other. 
So, um, of course, they still talk to each other because he's the only person that she knows outside of her family that has the ability to communicate with her via telepathy. Um, and then he was he had to transfer to that school because uh, he used to go to boarding school, but he was kicked out of boarding school after uh, an altercation with a teacher who also followed him over to this new school. So do they lose contact? They stop talking for a minute, but it does not last that long because they kind of feel drawn to each other. At the same time, she's given an assignment to, um, you know, family tree, but her mother does not want to tell her anything about her father. Oh. Yeah. Why? Um, because it's a secret what happened with her father. All right, I have one question. Okay. If, you have te- if you're telepathic mm-hmm. and you can read people's minds... Mm-hmm. How do you keep a secret? Her mother blocks her mind. You can block it? Yes. Oh. And I'm thinking like your character and this guy, mm-hmm. can't they keep communicating even though they're not in the same sphere anymore? They can communicate with each other via um, telepathy. But he is kind of skeptical because he believes that somebody else is there that can also do the same thing as him. He's skeptical about his new teacher because his teacher was the reason he had to leave, but everyone thinks that he's the reason that he had to leave the school. But it was his teacher. It was his teacher. He forced him to leave. Where do we go from there? Uh, From there, those two, they investigate the teacher. Um, Yeah, they investigate the teacher. And at the same time, she's also trying to investigate her father or investigate her origins where her father is. She's a busy girl. Yes. It's funny because that's not really, I don't know. I think, don't don't you think people are telepathic? Like, do you really think that's a supernatural thing or is it just like some people really can do that? I really do think that some people have the ability to communicate um, telepathically, but their powers also evolve as the story go on, the closer they get to each other. Yeah, so my whole story is about secrets. Everyone has a secret. The mother has a secret. She's trying to protect her family. He's has a secret. Basically, I think that my story is that you shouldn't keep secrets. You should tell people. If there's something that you want to say, you should tell them and not just keep it to yourself, especially if it's important. And there's a lot of misunderstandings that come from secrets. And it sounds like this is, so this is high school kids, right? Yeah, they're seniors in high school. Yeah, and they don't get that. Mm-mm. They're afraid what people might think about them or say about them. Yes. But you're not keeping your book a secret, right? I told everyone on my social media that I have um, wrote a book. I showed them a cover. I was so excited when I saw the cover. And um, yeah, but I haven't set up a book signing yet. Do you have any desire to do that? Yes, I do. I'm nervous because I'm not really a good public speaker, or but I really would love to do it. Well, you know, a lot of times that people want to know, like, what was your process? A lot of times when I when I write, the idea just pops in my head, and I go from there. It's not not really a process. It's more along the lines of an idea just happens, and then I open up my laptop or take out a pencil and a sheet of paper and just write whatever idea comes to head, comes to mind and it evolves into a story. A lot of people say that. Are you doing a follow-up yeah. to this book? Yes, there is going to be a sequel. And this one was also, um, to be honest, this story was a uh, thesis. A thesis? Um, 
Yes, it was a thesis. I had to, when I was, um, when I was in college, I had to write a story for one of my classes and it was like a five page story. And then they said that at the end of it, we had to write a thesis, which was like 180 pages or 75 to 100 and something pages. And I chose this story and evolved it from there. What does that entail? So um, with the thesis for, you know, for um, undergraduate, um, it had to be 75 to 100 and something pages. There had to be an ending. Um, since it was a creative writing thesis, I can write about whatever I wanted to. And then you decided to expand on it even more? Yes. Expanded on it, changed it. It took me about a month to write it, but it took me probably about five months to actually fix it. Well, how did people respond to it? My teachers loved it. Um, we were able to submit like chapters or or what we had to our other students on discussion boards and the comments on it. So they helped me a lot with my developing process of this story. That's great. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a choice. No. <laughs> <laughs> and also the high school students, I would think, would love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my target audience. My target audience are young adult high school students mostly people who like sci-fi. Yeah. And not being afraid to tell people stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's worse to hold it in than it is to get it out. Yes. Are you in the same town that you graduated from? Yeah. So you could you go back to your old high school and say, hey, I wrote a book. I could. I could do that. Do it. <laughs> I could do that. It's like a couple of miles away from me, so I should do that. I think some of my old classmates are now teachers, so. Yeah. And you know what? Anything, anything, anything that inspires kids to read and write mm-hmm. is a good mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And you're you're a shining example of just that. Yeah. What'd you get your degree in? Um, my first degree was in communications. And then I went back to school and got a master's and an MFA in creative writing. Oh, that's what you got to yeah. do. Yeah. So you could actually teach creative writing. I don't want to teach. <laughs> no, I don't blame you, me neither. If you were with kids who actually are interested in writing, mm-hmm. maybe you'd feel differently about it. Maybe, maybe. You know? Yeah. Anyway, it sounds really interesting. I'm also learning how to write scripts. Good. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. You're finding your way. Yeah. All right. It was really nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.